I'm the lead pastor here at Lakeview Church, and we are going to open the word of the Lord together. We'll be spending some time in that chapter of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 2. And as we, uh, as we get into it, um, let me just set, sort of set it up asking a question. How many of you love to get a new phone? Or maybe you love it when your phone company uh, sends out an update to your phone, right? Does anybody love that? Just absolutely love. And you ever notice that when you get a new phone or when you get an update, there's this like period of time in which you just want to throw your phone out the window as you're driving down the highway because you don't know where anything is? Like you don't know where the settings are and why do they have to change it? It worked just fine. Now they move this over here. They move that to that screen and that menu and whatever. And, th- and there's like this big learning curve uh, when you get a new phone or when they push out an update, there's this period of time where you, you're not able to get the most out of your phone because you don't know how it works. And once you figure out where the settings are and how it works and maybe watch a couple of videos on YouTube or talk to a friend or talk to the salesperson at the store or whatever, once you start figuring some of that, that stuff out, you figure out how your phone works, now you know how to use it, now you can get the most out of it. Uh, and, and that's pretty common Uh, But let's think about life and and apply that same principle to life. We are in a series this January about wisdom, wisdom for the new year, because January is a time of year when people are typically uh, sort of thinking about life, sort of taking stock. Where are we at financially? Where am I at personally? What are our goals? Where do we want to be? You know, do we want to lose five pounds this year? Want to take a vacation this summer? Blah, blah, blah. You know, whatever kinds of goals or New Year's resolutions or things that people talk about. Uh, the, the, the idea is that we want to get the most we can get out of life. We want to live the best life that we can live. We want to be happy and blessed in life. And that's a, that's a perfectly normal thing to want. But here's the thing. Just like the phone, you don't really figure out how to get the most out of life unless you know how life works. And that's why we're starting out this year with a series in the book of Proverbs called Wisdom for the New Year. We're, we're looking to God's word for wisdom. So we're in the book of Proverbs, and let me just sort of explain a little bit about what Proverbs is. Uh, Proverbs is a book in the Old Testament that is a collection of wisdom sayings. Uh, and, and these wisdom sayings are called Proverbs. That's why the book is called the book of Proverbs. Now, typically, when we think of a proverb, we think of this short little pithy statement that's got a little bit of kick to it, maybe a little salt in it, uh, and it's very memorable, it's very catchy, right? And, and not all proverbs are, are short and pithy like that, but that's what we generally associate with proverbial statements. One pastor put it this way, a proverb is a short sentence based on a long experience, right? Proverbs are, are, are loaded with wisdom, and the, the proverb that we're going to look at today isn't one short little sentence, but it is a, a lesson that King Solomon, who is the author of Proverbs, taught to his children. Uh, and so that's in Proverbs chapter 2. And Proverbs, the thing that connects them all together, all through the book, is the idea of wisdom. Wisdom. What is Wisdom. Well, uh, there are many different perspectives on wisdom, but in the Bible, when the Bible talks about wisdom, the Bible is talking about uh, skill. 
So in, in the Old Testament, the, the word most commonly translated wisdom is this Hebrew word, chokmah. Can everybody say chokmah? You got to get a little in your voice when you say that. Chokmah. Say it again. Chokmah. So this is the word most commonly translated wisdom in the, in the entire Old Testament, especially in the book of Proverbs. And the book of Proverbs is all about chokmah. Now, in Hebrew, the word chokmah literally means skill. That is the literal definition of the Hebrew word chokmah, skill. So when you read in the Bible that someone has uh, wisdom in stone cutting, they are wise in stone cutting. It's talking about they have skill as a stone cutter. Uh, when the, the nation of Israel was building the tabernacle uh, with Moses, uh, God gave Bezalel uh, wisdom as an artist to, to weave this, to, to put the plans of the tabernacle together. Wisdom as an artist, artistic skill to put this tabernacle together to lead the, the way of, of constructing this thing. So in the Bible, when, it, when the Hebrew word chokmah is used, it's literally talking about skill and, and to have skill or to be wise in leatherworking or tent building or stone cutting or whatever. And, and the book of Proverbs, especially when it's talking about wisdom, it's talking about skill at life. That's what wisdom is. Wisdom is skill at life. It is living life skillfully. Now, in order, to, in order to live life skillfully, we have to know how life is supposed to work, right? You can't be skilled at using your phone until you know how your phone is programmed and where the menu options are and how it works. You can't be skilled at living life until you know how life is supposed to work. And, and God is the inventor of life. (laughs) So if you want to know how something is designed to work, how do you get the most out of whatever it is, your phone, a tool, uh, something? If you want to know how something is supposed to work, the best person to ask is the person who invented it. They know exactly what they created it to do, exactly how it was designed to function, and God is the inventor of life. So if you want to get the most out of life, if you want to live a blessed life, if you want to get all that you can out of life and live the best possible life, we need to ask the person who invented life. And that's why we're going into the book of Proverbs this January. We're going to figure out how God created life to work, And then we're going to live skillfully in light of God's design for life. So in the the second chapter of Proverbs, uh, I want to just sort of lay out the structure. I don't know if you picked this up when Gary was reading through it. But in the second chapter of Proverbs, he really sets up his lesson around three main turning points. If, then, thus. That's the flow of this chapter. If, then then thus and he he sets it up you know if you do this then you will receive this and thus you'll be able to do that that's how he sets out his flow it's conditional right it's not something uh, salvation is unconditional you don't have to do anything to earn salvation but if you want to be skillful at life if you want to live a blessed life there are conditions and and that's what the book of proverbs is specifically the second chapter of proverbs is all about if then thus and so we're going to look at that the first one is if if you search for wisdom from god 
if you search for wisdom from God. That's what the, the opening verses of chapter 2 are all about. He says, My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure. He's talking about searching for wisdom from God, and, and, and it's conditional, if. And, and I think in these four verses, he points out three attitudes in the asking. Three attitudes in the searching. When you come to search for wisdom from God, there are three attitudes that we need to have. Uh, the first one is found in the first couple of verses. If you accept my words, this is the attitude of deference or humility. Right? If you accept, God's word. You have to humble yourself and submit yourself to the authority of God's word. The reality is that many times we today are tempted to come to God's word like a buffet. We're going to pick and choose what we like out of God's word. But the things that are hard to understand, the things that offend our modern ideals, the things that are not as progressive as we think we are, we're going to leave those. We're not really accepting God's word as authoritative in its entirety in our lives. Instead, we're sort, of, uh, we're sort of picking and choosing. Oh, I like that part about how Jesus died for my sins. I don't really like that part about how sex is only for one man and one woman in a marriage relationship. You know, we're more progressive than that. I think I'm gonna live together first or do this other way because I don't really like that part, but I love the part about Jesus dying for my sins. Oh boy, that's a lot of fun, right? Uh, I love that part about everlasting life. Man, everybody wants to live together, you know, live forever, forever, right? But you know, that this other part about, about taking up your cross daily and following Jesus, you know, denying yourself. Ah, come on. Isn't that a little old-fashioned? You know, we, we can't do that. That doesn't give us the wisdom from God that we're looking for. He says, if you accept my words, if you have an attitude of deference, of humility, of submission, you have to accept God's word as authoritative in its entirety. We don't get to pick and choose. And I'll be honest, there are things in the Bible that are offensive to me. There are things in the Bible that I wish God hadn't put in there, that I don't like. But I don't get to say, because I don't like that, it doesn't apply to me. It's, this is either God's word or it's not. And if it's God's word, even if I don't like it, it, it is authoritative in my life. And I have to humble myself and submit my ideas to the wisdom and the truth of God's word. That's the first attitude in the, in the asking. It's if you accept my words, the attitude of deference. The second attitude in these verses is the attitude of desperation. Verse three, he says, indeed, if, indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, how desperate are you for a word from God? Are we so comfortable in our lives that we don't really feel like we need God's wisdom? We don't really feel like we need God's word. You know, it'd be nice to have a little bit of guidance every now and again. It'd be nice to have God's word speak into a problem that we face every now and again. But for the most part, I'm pretty self-sufficient. Give me enough time. Give me enough resources. I'll figure out a way to solve my problems. Or, Or have we come to the point where we realize that apart from Christ, we can do nothing? 
We are nothing without God. We have nothing that God has not provided for us. There is no way forward without God. It's not till we come to that point where we realize, like, I'm in completely over my head. I have no idea what I'm supposed to do. And I get desperate enough to cry out to God for wisdom and understanding. I get into that point of desperation. The third attitude uh, in, the, in the search is determination. So I don't, I don't usually alliterate, but it works so well. Deference, desperation, and determination, the, these three attitudes. This is uh, found in verse four. He says, if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure. Now, I want you to imagine uh, that in whatever community you live in, Stoughton or Oregon or, or, or McFarland or Edgerton or Evansville or any of the other communities that are represented here, imagine that the historical society from your community came uh, to your house and said, uh, hey, listen, we've been searching through uh, historical records and we found that uh, in the, the middle mid-1800s, there was a, a band of robbers that was fleeing from the law with a big trunk full of gold that they had just stolen from a stagecoach. And the gold in that trunk today is valued at over $70 million. And they were fleeing from the law and they thought they were going to be caught, so they buried that trunk full of gold. And we have found their notes. And we've pinpointed the location. That trunk of gold valued at $70 million is buried somewhere in your backyard. What would you do? You would go home, you would get a shovel, and you would not stop digging until you found a trunk full of gold valued at $70 million, right? You would be determined. Nothing would keep you from digging for that buried treasure. And Solomon says, if you want wisdom from God, that's the same kind of determination that you have to have when you come to God's word to dig for the treasure in this book. We carry around buried treasure in our pockets in our purses, on our phones, on our nightstands, in the dashboards of our cars, underneath our beds. We have a whole treasure trove of wisdom in this book. This book reveals the greatest treasure in the history of the universe, who God is. That is revealed in this book. This book reveals many other treasures, how to live forever, How to be immortal, have eternal life. That's a huge treasure. Who wouldn't want that? A trunk full of gold leaves when you die. But if you live forever, imagine the treasure of that. This book has treasure about how to to have a successful marriage, how to love your children well and raise them in a godly way, how to uh, be a godly employee, how to be a godly boss how to live life and endure the struggles and the challenges and the obstacles that life throws you. All of it is in this book. Sometimes it's right on the surface. Sometimes we have to dig for it a little bit, but it's all here. And we need to have an attitude of deference, an attitude of desperation, and an attitude of determination when we are searching for wisdom from God. Uh, One of my favorite pastors is is a guy named Crawford Loritz. And I listen to him all the time. And and here's one of the things that he says. God's word has to be more than a point of reference. It has to become the context of our lives. It's not just 
a point of reference. It is the context of our lives. This isn't just an historical book with helpful information. It is who I am. This isn't just a book that tells good stories that have good moral lessons in them. This is the book that is my story. This is my identity. I am found in the God that is revealed in God's word in this book. That's who I am. It has to to be more than just a point of reference. It has to be the context of our lives. And many, many, many Christians have never made that switch. For them, the Bible is a point of reference, a helpful book, a place to turn when we have a question, but it hasn't yet become the framework and the foundation and the context of who we are, of our lives, of our story. This book has to become who I am. And and, and if you search for wisdom from God, then you'll find it. And that's what he's talking about. Uh, One little practical thing uh, in in this. In your bulletin, uh, I put a Bible reading plan. Um, It's the new year. Most people say, uh, I'd like to read my Bible a little bit more this year. Uh, You might already have started a Bible reading plan. That's great. You don't have to switch to this one. This one isn't a full year long. Uh, If it looks like it's folded a little weird, it's because my boys helped me fold them. So like any good dad, I'll blame the weird ones on the boys and... (laughs) Actually, they're fo- they probably folded them right. But uh, there, there are a couple of Bible reading plans. Uh, one is, is 21 days on prayer. 21 different passages of Scripture that are about prayer. This is a year of prayer at Lakeview Church. And so uh, I, I'm going to start this uh, Bible reading plan tomorrow. Anybody that wants to read along with me is, is welcome to do that. I'm just going to read it Monday through Friday. I'm not going to read this plan on the weekends. Um, and after 21 days on prayer... Uh, there's another one here, 10 Days on Discipleship. And that's where, that's where we're going to be headed in the next couple of years is a focus on discipleship and what it means to follow Jesus. And, and so I thought it'd be good to lay a foundation for that by uh, 10 Days on Discipleship. Um, so check those reading plans out and uh, I would encourage you to start digging into God's word. Uh, and, and this is what Proverbs is telling us. If you search for wisdom from God, the next point is then. If then, if you search for wisdom from God, then you will find God and receive wisdom. If, if you come to God's word with an attitude of deference, with an attitude of desperation, with an attitude of determination, and you search for wisdom from God, then you'll find God and you'll receive wisdom. Look at verse five. My son, or, or, or sorry, verse five, he says, Uh, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. I think that it's really interesting that he says, he's talking about if you're crying out for wisdom and if you're looking for wisdom, what do you find? Not wisdom, you find God, right? You'll understand the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. You'll find the knowledge of God. This isn't just talking about knowledge about God. This is talking about knowing God personally when you look for wisdom from God you don't immediately find wisdom you find God and if you find God you will receive wisdom that's what he says in verse 6 for the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding God is the source of all truth all truth is God's truth God is the source of all wisdom 
of knowledge, of understanding. And when you find God, you find wisdom. You, you don't have to, to, it's not, God, let me put it this way. God is not stingy. He, he gives wisdom freely to those who ask. Look at verse 7. He holds success in store for the upright. And we have to understand what it means when it says success. We can't read our definition of success into Proverbs chapter 2. He's not talking about material success. Like if you find wisdom from God, you'll be uh, wealthy and healthy, you'll be rich and prosperous, you'll be fat and happy. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about success in terms of Proverbs chapter 2. We have to define success in verse 7 in light of its context. So keep reading. Uh, He holds success in store for the upright. And here's, here's success. He, meaning God, is a shield to those whose walk is blameless. For he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. Success that God is holding in store for the upright is successfully living the life God's called us to live. It is successfully living an upright and moral life, a life that is honorable, a life that is fruitful in the Lord, a life that is pleasing to God. That's what success means in Proverbs chapter 2. God is not stingy in giving us wisdom to live a good life. He gives us success in living that good life that he has called us all to live. So when you search for wisdom from God, you find God. And when you find God, you find wisdom. You receive wisdom. That's what verse 9 says. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair, every good path. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you and understanding will guard you. Wisdom is good for you. (laughs) That's the name of the sermon. Wisdom is good for you. When you find God, you find wisdom and you find a good thing because wisdom and knowledge and discretion and understanding protect you and they guard you. What is he talking about? What do they protect you from? Wisdom from God keeps you from going down the wrong paths in life. Wisdom from God protects you from making decisions that you will regret for the rest of your life. That's what he's talking about. And he he points out two paths that are the wrong paths to go down. The first path he points out in verses 12 through 15, it's the path of popular opinion. Look at verse 12. Wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men, from men whose words are perverse, who have left the straight paths to walk in dark ways, who delight in doing wrong and rejoice in the perverseness of evil, whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. This is talking about the path of popular opinion. We called this when we were kids, it was called peer pressure. What does everybody else think? I want to fit in. I don't want to be weird or different. So I'm going to base my values and my understanding of right and wrong in my life based on what everybody else is doing, based on what everybody else says is right, based on what everybody else thinks is wrong or right or valuable or not, right? This is the path of popular opinion, and popular opinion doesn't often lead in the right way. Popular opinion often leads away from God, and that's what the proverb, uh, this Solomon's talking about in Proverbs 2. Wisdom, though, 
helps you understand what is right and just and fair. You don't have to be swayed by popular opinion. You can base your understanding of morality and justice and value in God's word rather than peer pressure. You know, we tell our kids, and maybe your parents told you this when you were a kid or maybe you've told your kids this, um, just because everybody's doing it, finish it for me, just because everybody's doing it doesn't mean it's right, right? Just because everybody's doing it doesn't mean it's right. My dad used to say, everybody jumped off a cliff. Would you jump off a cliff? Well, if there was an ocean at the bottom, maybe, (laughs) right? We know that. We tell our kids that. But how often do we allow ourselves as adults to be swayed by popular opinion of right and wrong, of good and evil, of morality? Wisdom will save you from going down the path of popular opinion. The, The next path that he points out here is the path of your own sinful heart. It's not just popular opinion, it's your own sinful heart. That's verses 16 through 19. Wisdom will save you also from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman with her seductive words who has left the partner of her youth and ignored the covenant she made before God. Surely her house leads down to death and her paths to the spirits of the dead. None who go to her return or attain the paths of life. See, the first path is the path of popular opinion. The second path is the path of our own sinful hearts. We have sinful desires. And if we we follow those desires, they will lead us down a path that goes to death, not the path of the righteous, not the path of life. We have to listen to God's word and to the wisdom that God gives us. You know, one of the cornerstone uh, values of American society is just follow your heart, right? You hear that all the time. Kids movies, adult movies, listen to your heart. Just follow your heart. Do what your heart says. Your heart will lead you home. I think if you tell somebody just follow your heart, it's about the same thing as saying go to hell. It's not any different because our hearts will lead us away from God almost every time, if not every time. We can't trust what's in our hearts because our hearts are full of sin. I, I'm, uh, I have a friend uh, who is a small group, was a small group leader at his church. Um, about 10 uh, years ago or so, uh, he was leading a small group in his church and he, he called me one day and he said, I have to tell you something. Um, I have begun to have an affair with a woman in my small group and we love each other and I'm going to divorce my wife and leave my kids. She's going to divorce her husband and leave her kids and we're going to get married and run away together. And I was like, this is one of my best friends and it was like a knife right in my heart and I said, what are you thinking? You're going to abandon your family? You're going to leave your kids? You're going to walk away from all that, from a wife who's been faithful to you for years? You're going to leave that behind just because you want to jump in bed with somebody? Seriously? And he said, no, I've I've got to listen to my heart. My heart is in love with her. Her heart is in love with me. We're in love. We can't deny that. I have to follow my heart and and do what my heart tells me to do. And I said, no, you don't. You have to do what God's word calls you to do. You, you better get on your knees and crawl back to your wife and beg her forgiveness. You don't walk out on your family just because you want to jump in the sack with somebody. That is not right. I don't care what your heart tells you. It's not right. Jeremiah 
17, 9 through 10, says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. You can't trust your heart because your heart is sick with sin. It is infected with sin. It is deceitful and it is wicked. Only God sees what's in our hearts. I don't often see what's in my own heart. I have to submit to God's word, to the wisdom from God that shows me what is right and just and fair, that saves me from going down the path of popular opinion, that saves me from going down the path of my own sinful heart. God's word protects you. God's wisdom will save you. That's the second point. If you search for wisdom from God, then you'll find God and receive wisdom. Thus, this is how, thus, you will be able to walk the paths of the righteous and be blessed. The last three verses. Verse 20. Thus you will walk in the ways of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous for the upright will live in the land and the blameless will remain in it but the wicked will be cut off from the land and the unfaithful will be torn from it. These verses don't need a whole lot of explanation. I thought maybe the best way to explain them was to tell a story uh, to illustrate what he's talking about here. He's talking about two different paths. The path of the righteous and the path of death. The path of life and light and blessing and the path of darkness, the path of bitterness, the path of sin, the path of unforgiveness. One path leads to God, one path leads away from God. That's what he's talking about. And so just by way of illustration here, uh, about 15 years ago, uh, I went on a camping trip in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. Uh, And here's a picture of a waterfall in that park. It's a beautiful place, and uh, I went down. I was supposed to go with a bunch of college buddies. They all backed out on me like the week before the trip, uh, but I had already gotten a week off of work, and so I just went by myself. Yes, I'm weird. I went camping by myself for a week in, the, in Tennessee, um, but I went down to go fly fishing and uh, to, to go swimming in the water and just hike this beautiful national park in the Smoky Mountains, and um, when you go on the trails there there are lots of times when the trail takes different turns there's a fork in the trail you know you have different ways to go and and this particular trail uh these these falls are called abram's falls and if if my memory serves me correctly there the trail to abram's falls is in a part of the park called cade's cove it's a beautiful part uh, of this park and when you're walking back on this trail uh there's there are different options if you want to go to the waterfall you take this trail if you want to go the shorter, less uh, intense route, you take this trail. It doesn't lead you to the waterfall. It's still a beautiful walk. Um, you know, I was more concerned with if you want to catch lots of trout, which trail do you take? Uh, no trail for me, actually. But uh, <laughs> the point is this. Not all paths lead to the waterfall. If you want to see the waterfall, if you want to swim in the, under, under the waterfall, you have to walk the path that leads to the waterfall. It's the same thing with Christ, with living a blessed life. Not all paths are the path of blessing. 
Not all paths are the path of life. If you want to live a blessed life, if you want to get the most you can get out of life, if you imagine God's blessings like a waterfall and you want God's blessings to be poured out on your life, you have to walk the path that leads to the waterfall. You have to go the right way. You can't walk around a different way and then complain, I didn't get to see the waterfall. I didn't get God's blessing. Well, you didn't walk the path of blessing. You didn't walk the path of life. If you want to see the waterfall, you have to walk the path that leads to the waterfall. That's what Proverbs chapter 2 is all about. Let me just summarize these points. If you search for wisdom from God, then you will find God and receive wisdom. Thus, you will be able to walk the paths of the righteous and be blessed. This is Proverbs 2. Now, if you follow Jesus already, you know the path. The question is, are you walking on it? Are you searching for it? Do you have the right attitude in your search? Are you applying what God's already revealed to you? If you want the blessing, you have to walk the path that leads to blessing. If you have not yet chosen to follow Jesus, let me just say this. Popular opinion, the path of popular opinion says this, all paths lead to God. All paths lead to the top of the mountain. You just be sincere in whatever you believe and and all paths lead to God. But that's not what the Bible says. That's not what God's wisdom says. There's only one path that leads to God. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Not all paths lead to the top of the mountain. Not all paths lead to the waterfall. Not all paths lead to God. Jesus is the way the truth, and the life. If we want to walk the path of eternal life, we have to walk that path through following Jesus. He came as a human being to show us that way. He demonstrated it by living a perfect life. He walked the paths of the righteous and never ventured off of it, never strayed to the right or the left, but he walked that path always. He did what none of us could do. He never sinned. Because he never sinned, he didn't deserve to die. But he stepped into our path, the path that led to the cross, and he picked up our cross and he carried it and he was nailed to that cross when he reached the top of that hill and he poured out his blood for our sins so that we could have salvation and everlasting life. And in doing that, he opened a gate for us to step onto the path of life, the path of righteousness that Proverbs 2 is talking about. There's only one path to God. Which path will you choose? Let me pray. Father, I do thank you for your word. I thank you for the wisdom that you have given us in Proverbs. And, and I'm so looking forward to the next couple of weeks as we spend in this great book of, of understanding how you created life to work. Because all of us want to live a blessed life and receive from you that waterfall of blessing. So God, I pray that as we, as we uh, uh, interact and respond in worship today, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would bring to mind where we are stepping off the path of blessing and the path of life. Where we have, ha- have hidden places in our hearts that we haven't surrendered to you. Bring those to our minds. May we confess those areas of sin and may we enter the path and walk the path of the righteous, the path of blessing. God, I pray that you would stir up in us a hunger for your word and for the wisdom that it contains. 
And if there are people in this room, I know there are people who have not yet chosen to be fully committed to Christ. God, I pray that your spirit would speak to them, would draw them, that you would show them the vast treasure of eternal life, of the love that you pour out and lavish on us, of the power and the presence of your spirit. All these things that are revealed in your word that if we follow you are our eternal inheritance. God, we ask for that. I I pray that somebody would make that decision this morning as we sing and worship. In Jesus' name, amen.